Welcome back to the Pocket Network Podcast, a podcast for real estate professionals like you to innovate your world. I'm your host, Margarita Petrosian, and each week I sit down with real estate uh, professionals to talk about industry hot topics, common challenges, and so much more. This week, we have Sevan Gorginian with us. He's an attorney. Welcome, Sevan. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So uh, let's jump into your background first. Sure. So... Uh, bachelor's, law school, and then straight into law. So do you want, is there anything else that you want to add? Details, anything for our viewers? Uh, sure. Um, there's a much more, I, I just remembered my, uh, after law school, everything I did. But after I graduated, um, I went to UCLA, go Bruins. Um, and then I actually took about five years off and I actually worked and I actually got to work and live in China. Oh, wow. So it was, um, it was very eye-opening. Um, and then I came back and I went to law school. I went to Loyola Law School. And uh, after that, I graduated and I worked at a mid-sized firm and I went to a big firm. And in 2017, I started my own practice. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And I can see that it's pretty successful because you do have three locations. Yes. And you're also a professor on top of all of that going on. I am. Yeah. yeah. And you teach at three different universities? Now it's two. Two, uh, okay. I was teaching um, at Glendale University College of Law in Glendale, yeah. but I'm not teaching there anymore for a lot of reasons. Uh, but I'm teaching at Glendale College, and I teach at CSUN. I teach at okay. their business school. Okay, yeah. perfect. So uh, in business, do you teach business law? Yeah, I teach the lower division business law at uh, Glendale College, and I absolutely love it. I've been there for eight years now, and uh, I also teach the upper division business law at CSUN. Okay, wow. Yeah. Hopefully... Hopefully your students are loving it because I know from personal experience, business law was a tough class and I couldn't get myself to want to even pick up the textbook. It was so difficult for me. Right. No, it is. It's a very difficult topic. But, you know, fortunately, I think uh, I've made it simplified enough that the students really enjoy it. And there's some topics I'll talk about tonight and hopefully uh, your audience will also enjoy it. Yeah, I can imagine being taught directly from an attorney with real life knowledge and uh, experience to bring as examples. That probably would have made the class a lot easier. So good for you. Good for you for teaching the students in a way that they can uh, see from someone that directly applies it. Right. Okay, perfect. So China, you said China. That is interesting. Never heard that, especially from an Armenian. So what made you go to China? I had a, um, after graduating UCLA, I was interested in commercial real estate. And I got to work in some of the downtown projects in downtown LA where they were converting the condos into lofts. And there came an opportunity. There was a hotel project in Macau. And the person I replaced over there quit. So they needed someone to go over there. And they said, you know, hey, Sevan, you want to go? And I'm like, sure. You know, of course, at the first look, I'm like, where's Macau? I'm like looking yeah. out on the map. Yeah, I have no And I'm idea. like, I'm like, oh, wow, it's pretty cool. It's, a south, it's in Southeast Asia, right by Hong Kong. And it's an absolute incredible place to be. So, so do you uh, speak Mandarin? No, I know how to count to 10. Oh, I'm sure um, that was very useful. It was useful. Yeah. Uh, so I can kind of tell them, you know, how many things I want. Okay. Um, I remembered how to say... Uh, the chicken, not the pigeon. Okay. Oh, um, wow. Because one time I got pigeon, I'm like, oh, that's not chicken. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to say, you know, I want the chicken, Something not the pigeon. Something you might not need in the U.S. Right. So, and uh, also the address of where my, um, where my, where the condo was. Okay. That was important. So yeah. y- your job, you spoke English and was there a lot of people speaking English there? Oh, absolutely. They oh, speak wow. uh, primarily English over there, especially in Hong Kong. It's a very uh, metropolitan city and um, it's primarily spoken 
in English. Love it. Yeah. yeah in a globalized world, right. I guess it's just to be expected that everyone picks one central language right. to speak, to do business, to make it easier. Right. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So, um, assuming I'm assuming that you took extra classes in bankruptcy and trust, or is that not a thing? No, it is. Um, in law school, uh, you get to specialize in what you want to do during the third year. Okay. And I took uh, two bankruptcy courses, and I absolutely loved it. And I fell in love with the area of law. That's what I focus on primarily. And uh, I also did take a wills and trust class, and I really enjoyed that. Um, graduating from law school, you know, people always want to know what can I do. I knew what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do, you know, criminal law. I was scared if I lose, they're going to come kill me. Okay. <laughs> um, I didn't want to do family law because I don't want to get involved in the family dynamics and children. So I really gravitated towards either real estate, tax, bankruptcy, or trust. Okay. So. Um, it's that's great what I to went. know what you don't want to do so you can right. avoid that. Right. But also, I've never heard a lawyer say that about criminal law. I've heard a lot of people say that because my, my sister is a criminal lawyer. Oh. And a lot of people have said, oh, aren't you scared if the criminal comes after you? Right. And that's never been an issue for her. So that's really funny right. that you said that. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm just uh, I'm just scared. And, you know, but. <laughs> I'm, okay. sure, I'm sure that's a great field. But yeah. It's, it's just not oh, yeah. Me. Based on my knowledge on, you know, watching yeah. all the episodes of SVU, it yeah. looks like a very interesting right. field from right. my professional opinion on TV. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, we said that you have three locations and then you do the, um, the, the teaching on the side. Sorry, I just right. lost my train of thought. So, and then you also have a family. I do. So let's talk work-life balance. What advice can you give to young professionals watching? How can they uh, balance that in a healthy way? Sure. And uh, if my wife is listening, she would say, you don't have a work-life balance. Okay. <laughs> um, but I try very hard. Um, I am married to my best friend from the fourth grade. Her name is Sevana. It's my name with an A. You oh, can't, my God. You, can't you guys get it wrong. were made for each other. Right. <laughs> yeah, God and, was uh, like, these two. These two need to yeah. meet. And she's a professional chef. Um, I get to eat very well, so I'm very, very Lucky. happy. She's yeah. now a full-time mother taking care of my beautiful daughter, Arif. Congratulations and, uh, on thank your you. baby. Thank you. She's, uh, she keeps us very entertained. But as far as um, you know, work-life balance between my family, my law practice, and also teaching, it is difficult. It's, uh, you know, people always say, how do you do you know, all these in, in your day? And it's, it's just, I, I think How do you I have, do all of this and then you found time to come on our podcast? Thank right. you for that. Oh, my pleasure. No, I mean, uh, I, I, wanted, I really came to it because I wanted to support you guys. Thank you. And um, I, I wanted to um, just talk about how to balance those three. I don't have a magic formula. I think my personality is like a type A personality. If I don't have like 100 things to do in a day, I feel really unproductive. So it's, you know, oh, I can, I can do this podcast. I can go to that networking event because I have to remain busy. Yeah. So, but once you get into a habit of, you know, organizing your life, um, it becomes much more streamlined. So the way I help myself to create time is I streamline every process. So um, like my law practice is very streamlined and it's, it's primarily paperless. Okay. So everything is online. I can control everything online. Um, so, so you can work from anywhere. Right. And my teaching is also streamlined. I've created all my lecture notes. I know exactly what it's supposed to do when the midterms are. And I give myself deadlines on when to grade. The school doesn't have deadlines for us. Yeah. But I have a system in place that I'm like, I got to get these graded. I got to do this. So. And do you have an um, assistant for that, like a teacher's assistant? Um, I, I do, but I have a very difficult time delegating tasks. That's okay. a big uh, vice of mine. So the school does provide a graduate student that yeah. can assist, but 
my nature is to do everything myself. So I do it myself because I have to know that it's uh, done this way. So. It makes sense in in the in your legal practice, but uh, for teaching, like just grading tests, uh, if you want to take my advice, I definitely think that you should try to learn to do that. That way, um, I know you said you love to keep busy, but right. keep busy in, in a different way, in a way right. where um, you're not as stressed out or your mind isn't having to work the entire time, if it's, right. whether it's just playing with your baby right. or cooking with your wife. Right. No, I agree. And I am going to um, start to use the graduate assistant more. We are going back to class, so which I'm very happy about. And, in uh, person? In person. Um, so knock on wood, um, I'm gonna, I generally get a lot of students. I'm going to have about 120 students. Wow. Um, and it's a very, very large class. And yeah. you know, people say, oh, teaching is so fun. I'm like, yeah. And I take a picture of the exams after grade. Yeah. So, and, and I text them. I said, you know, how's your winter going? Yeah. So look, at, look at mine. Oh, um, coming from uh, tiny schools for both undergrad and um, for my grad, it's not that the school is tiny, just my classes were always much smaller. Right. I cannot imagine 120 students because so, some of my professors took weeks to get back on a test. Right. And there was like 10 to 15 of us in class. Yeah. No, it's, I, you know, I just try to get to it because I don't want it to delay because it just snowballs yeah, into the course. next event. Um, but just I try to get to it. It keeps building up. Right. It keeps building up and the students get impatient. Yeah. So again, I do have a process of how the grading is done. Um, it works for me. So, but I generally really enjoy it. I love yeah. teaching. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing that you found something so early on that you love to do. Yeah, And Thank you're you. able to do it while practicing something that you love equally. Right. Yeah. Okay, so about the balance, one thing that I really wanted to point out, I actually want to, I wish I was good with names because there was this amazing woman who had such a successful career. And I want to say she was the original um, founder of the QVC channel. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. So they I, I want to say stuff. it was her. Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, I'll look into it later and tag her if I can find it. But um, she said that because she had a few kids and she was so successful. She had such an impressive resume. And when she was asked about work-life balance, she says, the only answer I ever have to that is there is never a balance. She's like, yeah. the way I balance it is one week, I might have to focus on my kids more because they need my support. Another week, I might have to focus on my job more because that's where um, my energy is needed. So that's something to think about that right. you don't feel like a failure just because you feel like you haven't given and family and your job right. equal amounts of attention that week you balance it in your own way thank you i'm now grateful to be here yeah thank you for that yeah just for that reason yeah. okay i will remember to give this analogy to every single podcast guest so they could come back yeah <laughs> okay thank you. so um when did you become interested in teaching that's something that i wanted to ask you know i've always uh sounds cliche but i've always been interested in teaching um, I love um, I love educating young students. I love to learn myself. I like to write myself. So I've always been interested in education. Um, I do want to retire teaching. Um, so to get to my end goal, I got to put in the time now to yeah. kind of retire teaching. So question about that. Yeah. Do you mean you want to retire teaching as in uh, once you're done with everything else, you want to continue teaching? Oh, right. To old age? Right. That's, okay. that's what I meant. Got it. I'm not actually retired now. Okay, got uh, it. But when I'm, because I don't want to practice law forever. Yeah. Okay. So around, let's say, 55 or, you know, 60, I want to just stop practicing law and just focus on teaching. And that will be the, uh, the ending of my career, which sounds pretty sad. It um, doesn't sound but, sad. Uh, but I want to retire teaching. I remember yeah. um, 
in law school, there was a, a teacher that had an accent, and I, I asked him, I said, uh, I said, like, what do you do? I, I haven't seen him on campus. And he says, well, I'm from the University of, it was either Switzerland or Sweden, and, uh, you know, with like a Swedish accent, um, yeah. that actually sounded Russian. Uh, but he says that he visits schools um, every semester. He said, I'm, I'm a visiting professor. So he jumps school to school and he teaches for a semester. That is And then so he goes cool. to somewhere else. So I'm different like... Different countries or yeah. just within the U.S.? Yeah, no, just different countries. He wow. came from Sweden and he goes, oh... And what a uh, life. He goes, I'm going to go to Italy and then over there and then... I'm just like staring at him. I said, you're my idol. And yeah. that's what I want to do, retire teaching. Have you told your wife? Does she want to do oh, this with you? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So she wants to travel and we'll travel and I'll teach. And you get to live in the country, you get paid. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it'll be very fun. That sounds amazing. I never knew that was the thing. Right. Yeah. I've had uh, teachers or professors from other countries, but yeah. should have probably asked if they're a visiting professor because right. the next year I, I don't check to see if they're back. Right. I wonder if that's more common than we're thinking because it sounds like something so uh, different and so cool to me. Yeah. No, it is. It's actually very common. Um, you know, so you can like, like I know the American legal system. Yeah. You know, let's say I go to, I don't know, Sweden. I could tell them, oh, well, this is how we do, you know, family trust and bankruptcy in America. This is our laws over there and teach a uh, semester uh, webinar over there. That's actually interesting that you pointed that out because even in America, different states, the laws are right. different. Very. So when you go there, you're teaching just true American law or would you have to learn what their country's doing and compare? Like what, what would the courses be like? Yeah. So the courses are generally a uh, comparative law uh, where they say this is how it's done in this country and then in this, in this uh, host country. This is how it's done. So yeah. the students in that country are able to relate. Um, you can't just go and say, well, this is our laws in America. First of all, no one's going to care because yeah. they're going to say, well, why the hell are you teaching me this? How does that change right. my life? How does it change my life? But <clears> once <throat> you teach them that this is other ways to think and this is the way other ways we do the law in America. So yeah. I think it really opens up their eyes on, um, you know, that there's different viewpoints. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is what um, a lot of countries and companies especially are doing. Right. So with, uh, we've discussed diversity on, on this podcast before, how important it is and how people are recognizing that. So with universities also recognizing that if their students are educated, doesn't matter if you're never going to leave your country, if you're educated right. in American law, in uh, Italian law, doesn't matter. You can pull lessons from each thing. And there's a lot of lawyers that go on to be judges or political figures doesn't matter. You can make a big difference. Just opening your eyes to what other people are doing, what options you have out there. Right. You can innovate by using common practices from elsewhere. Right. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And and the other thing is when perhaps I'm a, you know more proud to be an American, but when you look at other countries' laws, you really understand how our legal system is, in my opinion, by far the best. Yeah. You know, we, we truly live in a wonderful, wonderful country. So... Um, and even our legal, our legal system is very, um, what's the word? Very fair. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Right. I've, I've heard so much of both sides and it's interesting um, to hear how you, you only have positive things to say about that. And that's honestly refreshing to see yeah. that in your experience with maybe it's the, the area that you've been working at where maybe the judges are more fair, whatever right. the reasoning is behind it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I remember um, there's a Supreme Court Justice uh, Scalia was visiting USC. You know, he's passed away now. Yeah. And he asked the crowd, he said, what makes us the most freest country in the world? And everyone was saying, oh, our, our elections, my First Amendment. And he said, no, it's the uh, balance of power 
between the executive branch, the judicial, and the legislative branch. Because when those three um, are checking each other, it makes us the freest country in the world, and it makes us, I think, the best country in the world. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's not right. just like one president ruling everything. There's a balance of power. So, yeah. And I'll never forget that. And it's very, very true. Yeah, that true. hopefully the U.S. never has a chance of seeing a dictator or right. someone who acts like one. Right. And we even have um, our appellate system is incredible. You know, like the fact that, you know, let's say for whatever reason, the lower court goes against you, you have a right to appeal. There are countries that you don't have a right to appeal. Mm -hmm. They said it, that's it, you're done. You know, yeah. so um, I've had to advise some clients. I'm like, well, you know, if it doesn't work, we can appeal. They're like, oh my God, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, so, which is great. Yeah, I love that because there are some uh, rare scenarios where we've seen, especially over, over the past couple of years, where a lot of information with whether it's DNA evidence, whatever it is, advancements in te technology, right. and people who have been wrongfully convicted are able to come out. And just thinking of that now in another country, maybe they would have never had that opportunity. Right. The evidence maybe would not have been stored for that long. Right. That's yeah. true. Okay, love it. So let's jump in deeper into the the sure. your professional aspect for um, relating to real estate directly. Sure. So most of your clients are they the homeowner or the real estate professional? Who do you represent? They are mostly the homeowners. Okay. Um, the homeowners, and again, it could be uh, from the bankruptcy perspective. People come to me because they're facing a lot of debt. They're behind in their mortgage payments. They have a judgment on their house. It could be a whole you know litany of things. So I help them get rid of their debt keep their home and then uh, come out more with a fresh start. You know? Okay. So you yeah. typically our audience is the real estate professional. So right. for anyone watching, if you do have a client who reaches out to you, who's struggling, whether like he, uh, what right. Savan said, whether it's with their debt, debt or um, whatever it is concerning their home, then you can immediately refer them to a lawyer. So a local right. lawyer, Savan would be able to help in California or whoever it is in your state. And uh, so your client can see that you're supporting them in all aspects. So you're not just there to do what you're qualified to do. You can refer, uh, your services uh, to, to someone else, to a professional that can help your client during a really difficult time. And we've talked about this in the podcast before right. where all these professionals, whether it's lawyers or real estate agents, they're not just there to make a quick buck. They're right. there to help the client throughout the journey right. from beginning until these horrible, uh, hopefully not end of their home ownership. Right. So um, like Savan said, uh, one of the top questions that I had for you, if you are filing for personal bankruptcy, right. I was going to ask, what happens? Do you lose your home? And you said yeah. you don't have to. Right. No, you, you, you don't lose your home. Okay. Everyone thinks I'm going to lose my house. It's very rare. Um, recently, um, California just passed a law where you can keep up to $600,000 of your equity in your house and still file bankruptcy. So let's say your house, let's say you have $50,000 of credit cards. Um, if you have a million dollar house, and the loan is $400,000, there's $600,000 of equity in your house that's yeah. built up. That person with a million-dollar house, which is probably like a one-bedroom in Glendale, yeah. um, they can file bankruptcy, keep that million-dollar house wow. because you're within the $600,000 uh, homestead exemption, yeah. and get rid of all your other debts. Um, more importantly, if there are any judgments that are recorded against your house, um, those can also be eliminated. So clients will come to me saying, Sevan, I have you know, $50,000 of credit card debt, this SBA loan or whatever, plus um, you know, Visa and American Express sued me and I have two judgments on my house. 
Because of the credit cards? Because of the credit card. And yeah, so they were sued and now they're, they, they, they put the judgment on, on their house. Okay. So if they go to sell their house, those judgments would have to be paid before they get the money in their pocket. Of course. Through a bankruptcy, we're able to eliminate those judgments and strip them off the property. So they don't have to pay those judgments anymore. So it's wow. a very useful tool. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, speaking of which, now um, seeing how our economy is doing with respect to real estate, you know, I always advise my real estate agent friends, you know, those listening, um, the way judgments work is if I get a judgment against Margarita, I, I won't. Um, if I get but if a judgment. My sister's a lawyer, so don't worry. Oh, a criminal lawyer at yeah. that. Okay. She can do everything. So, so now, okay. Is she going to pop out from somewhere? Um, She's but right here. If I. <laughs> If I, if I get a judgment against Margarita, and let's say it's a $20,000 judgment, she's going to say, well, Sevan, I don't have anything. And I'm like, okay, you're right. If I take that judgment and I record it in L.A. County, that judgment actually floats until you buy a property. So if you buy a property, let's say not this year, maybe in five years, you've forgotten about Sevan. Yeah. You buy a property and you, you buy a house and it says uh, Margarita on there. Um, if that name matches the judgment I have, the judgment will automatically attach to your new house. Wow. So you... Up to five years? No. Uh, once it's recorded, it's like like forever. Oh, wow. It's just constantly floating. It's waiting yeah. for Margarita to buy a house in her name. Yeah. So the reason why I bring that up is um, everyone is buying homes these days. And I tell my real estate agent friends, I say, look, before you close escrow, please ask your clients... Um, hey, Margaret, have you been sued in the last 10 years? Maybe she'll say, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, Visa sued me. Go search to see if there's a judgment in her name. Because and it would be public information? It would be public information. Okay. And because the last thing you want is when you close escrow, you get a letter saying, congratulations on closing your house. Oh, by the way, there's now a judgment that's recorded. And yeah. the judgment earns 10% a year. Oh, wow. So so in 10 years, it might be worth the value of your home. Right. It's, it's going to... It goes up exponentially. So nobody wants to wake up after escrow saying, oh, by the way, there's a judgment on your house. Yeah. So please check for judgments before you close escrow. If there is, uh, I recommend don't buy it in their name. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's really important information. And thank you for sharing that. You're because that's definitely not a question that I had prepared. It didn't pop up on my internet search on what to ask a lawyer in real estate. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So everyone watching at home, remember that. Jot that down. Make sure that's one of the questions that you ask your clients whenever you're selling or when you're uh, uh, purchasing a home with a client. Right. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for that. And then uh, let's jump to to business uh, bankruptcy because sure. it's different than personal. It is. So if a client does have a business bankruptcy and the business is in their name, does that change uh, anything with home ownership or buying? No, it doesn't. Um, the The home ownership process is going to be tied to their personal name. Now, with respect to the business, most of the business debts will have a personal guarantee that is tied to their name. Okay. So if you go and try to rent, you know, at like Americana on brand, and you create a company, okay? It says Margarita LLC. Uh, Rick Caruso, the owner, is not going to rent it to your LLC. They're going to say, well, we don't know what this entity does. We want your name on it too. We want you okay. to personally guarantee. So yeah. even though it's a business debt, you're also liable on that debt. So that debt might reflect when you're going to buy a house, you know, it's like, wait a minute, you personally guaranteed these debts, so it's kind of on you too. So that's kind of like how it works with the home buying process. But if you keep the debts only on a business, you know, this is not my debt. It's my LLC that has the debt. Mm -hmm. It's not yours personally. 
Yeah. So you can go buy a house. The debt won't reflect on your um, uh, purchasing power. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. That's also very good information to know. Thank so, you. So um, another uh, <laughs> audience that we have would be, let's say, loan officers. And it's people that not only do mortgage loans, but other type of loans. So that's something that you should definitely talk to your clients about for anyone listening. Yeah. I also have another uh, tip for my uh, loan uh, real estate. Uh, that didn't make sense. My uh, loan agent friends. There you go. Um, is, you know, n- nowadays... Um, it's very important to kind of check the source of funds that they're using to buy yeah. the real estate. Yeah. Because a lot of people are using SBA money to purchase the real estate. Mm-hmm. I always tell people, um, they're like, oh, well, we got 40 offers uh, over asking. How many of those are their money? Right. They're like, oh, we, we overbid by $100,000. I always, you know, I think and I ask them, I said, where do you think they got that extra $100,000 from to overbid? Well, it's the SBA money. Now, if you don't check the source of that fund, you don't know. You, you think it's their income, but it's not. It's the SBA loan. And when the SBA finds out that you actually didn't use it for payroll, you used it to buy the one-bedroom million-dollar condo in Glendale, they're going to be pretty upset, and they can call the loan. Yeah. So it's going to so be So what bad. happens if, let's say, um, they find out a year after? You just lose your house? Uh, no, you won't lose your house, but they're going to say you breached the agreement that says you're supposed to use the loan for business purposes, but you used it to overbid on a home or remodel your backyard, and we want the loan back. Okay. Well, where am I going to get this $100,000 from? And by the way, that's going to be like 140000 when they stick you with the penalties. Mm-hmm. So that's something that concerns me. So again, I highly recommend loan agent friends, please check the source of those funds. Um, don't just uh, trust your client. Yeah. 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 And a lot of time, I think with the loan officers, um, they're only required to check a couple months back for income. And some clients just wouldn't tell you. So just uh, be very upfront and transparent with the client and say, if this is where the funds are coming from, do it at your own risk, because this is what can happen months or years from now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Awesome advice. This is actually really good stuff where um, I, I haven't taken the real estate exam, so I don't know if these questions pop up, but they definitely should. This is something I would want my real estate agent to definitely discuss with me ahead of time. Yeah. Okay. And then another question I had. So um, I looked into since every state is different with law. So California doesn't require uh, lawyers for real estate transactions. So now you as a lawyer with a lot of experience in the industry, would you recommend that people um, retain a lawyer? for big transactions like buying a home? I believe so. I think, um, uh, fortunately, um, we have a lot of fantastic real estate agents, um, um, especially in our Armenian community. They're very smart. They're very capable. So I think for those, you don't necessarily need it. I think for the more complex ones, when they're when they're structuring deals involving um, different types of loans, et cetera, um, if the transaction will, will involve um, somehow, you know, selling another property to buy this property. Um, those I would recommend you to get a, a lawyer. I always say, um, especially this is kind of off topic, but even when it comes to setting up a business, uh, people will say, well, I could just go on to LegalZoom, you know, or somewhere else and I'll just create it. I said, look, LegalZoom just fills out forms for you. What you need is the actual advice. Maybe the LLC is not good for you. So people create it and sometimes LegalZoom does it wrong. Okay. And then you don't realize that it's actually done wrong. And maybe what you needed is a S-corp. So same thing with real estate is, sure, it might look you know, easy and you don't need it. But I think same thing with setting up a business, 
pay the $500 to a, a business law attorney, yeah. have, them, have them look at There's it. There's a reason they went through three years right. of specialized schooling. Right. It's like, yeah. give the $500 um, and have them review it and give you the advice of which one you need. Same thing with real estate. If you're spending, I don't know, $500,000 to buy a big property, spend uh, $500, $1,000 on a real estate attorney to take a look at the transaction because it could save you in the end. Yeah. And if you're worried about... Uh, the, the fees, there's a ton of people out there who are just starting. Their fees right. are a little less, that's a little more experienced, but it doesn't mean that they they don't know what they're doing. They might actually remember laws or something right. better than someone who's more experienced just because they just read about it. Right. Or they just yeah. worked on it in their internship. Whatever yeah. the reasoning is, uh, the people that have the degree who've passed the bar, especially in California, the bar is so difficult that oh, if yeah. they've passed the bar, I trust them. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And, um, you know, most people will also just do it for free. I mean, I do a lot of pro bono work, but um, most people will try to help. So, um, but definitely, if you're questioning it, I would say get a third pair of eyes to yeah. look at it. Yeah, if it doesn't feel right, always make sure that you have your backup plan. Right. Okay, perfect. And then, uh, so we talked about bankruptcies, and then another area that you specialize in is trusts, correct? That's correct. Okay, yeah. so um, by trust, do you mean like... Uh, Inheritance? Yeah, it, inheritance is a component to it. But uh, what I talk about is just like simple family trusts. And this is uh, somewhere new I uh, just uh, started my practice in because um, I've always wanted to do it. I've always wanted to do tax, uh, uh, estate planning, and bankruptcy. These and are, I think, the the three topics that I've heard the least amount of people always <laughs> wanting to do. So good yeah. for you. Everyone wants to do PI. I, I don't do any PI. Um, and I can't do criminal law for the reasons we've said, but um, I really enjoyed those three topics. And once you know I'm able to, I'm also going to get into tax. But um, I recently, you know, going back to how I run my practice, it's been very efficient. My bankruptcy practice, my bankruptcy practice. I have a great team that they've actually allowed me to kind of uh, focus more on establishing more on the estate planning. But I do. Um, I do do that also. I help people set up trust. I help people kind of figure out their estate plans. And, and it comes from my teaching background that when I look at how complex it is, uh, people kind of get scared about it. And I'm like, look, it's really simple. You know, it's like really simplified. So my goal is to simplify it. Um, so that's, that's one of the, I guess, the, the good traits I have is, and wh when you see me marketing, I always say simplified. I just keep it simple. You know, yeah. people have complicated, but it's really not that complicated. Yeah. I read online that, um, and I don't know if this is true, but I read online that you can technically set up your own trusts without right. an attorney. Yes. That blows my mind. So have you seen a lot of people doing that and then running to you to fix it? Sure. I mean, look, in America, you don't need lawyers. Okay. Um, you don't need a lawyer for anything. You can... Defend yourself in a criminal case yourself. You could do your bankruptcy yourself. You don't need lawyers. Lawyers are there to guide you um, on the nuances and how to get to, um, you know, from A to A to Z. So you don't need a lawyer to establish your trust or your, your estate planning. There are websites just like LegalZoom. There are other websites uh, that you can use to, to do it. But again, it's very cookie cutter. And they tell you, we're not giving you advice. Yeah. Um, you just fill out a form. Um, and they populate it and they go, here you go, you know, but there, I have seen people bring me documents they've filled out and instantly I could see a lot of holes. Uh, for example, let's talk about their will. Um, 
the will, there are no witnesses and it's not even notarized. It's just their will. Yeah. Is it effective? Sure. But it should be witnessed. But if someone contests it, right. then what happens? Uh, then it could be deemed invalid. It's like, oh no, that's not what it is. And, and, and you're not around anymore to, to defend yourself. Exactly. You know? So um, again, I highly recommend to use an attorney to do it, even though it might sound simple. Yeah. Um, I mean, okay. In America, you technically don't need a mechanic. With a simple Google, I mean, YouTube search, you can probably learn to do anything on your car. Now, would I be able to do any of that? Or right. would I break my car and then end up having to spend a lot more to fix right. it? It's Compare that, a car, to the law. Right. I feel like the law is a lot more complicated. And no. it's a lot more difficult for YouTube to teach you to whatever to do in your personalized situation. So just like you would need someone that specializes in, um, in your car, then you should do the, treat your life the same. Because right. legal stuff, that's your life. Right. I mean, I think you should just look at it as an investment. You know, it's I'm I'm creating um, I'm creating this estate plan for my children. I want the house to be protected. All this stuff. It's well, how much is that worth to you? That's that's a pretty big fancy house. You know, your children, etc. So why not spend some money to to do it? You know, and um, I think it's very reasonable. You know, yeah. To uh, to do it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And for all the professionals watching, if you agree, let your clients know. Let them know that this makes a lot more sense because uh, a lot of people will try to do it on your own. And in the long run, you're saving them a lot of time and a lot more money because they might just have to run back to a lawyer in a stressful situation just to make sure what they did was correct or to redo it. Right. And I think it's the same in in any field. I mean, even in real estate. Yeah. Do you need a real estate agent to help sell your house? No. No. Now, you should know, you hire one? Should you hire one? Yes, because yeah. they bring so much value. Because if you were to sell it for five hundred thousand um, dollars, maybe you're not marketing it correctly, and you know maybe you could have sold it for six hundred thousand. So, yeah. was it worth the extra three percent, six percent commission, whatever it is? Absolutely. And you never really truly know the value of your house right now, right? Because uh, all of these websites like Zillow can recommend right. or uh, estimate, like, oh, other houses in your area right. say for this much, but they don't know how much work you've done in your house. You right. might end up getting double that amount who knows right. exactly yeah and a professional can point that out right so um also just more about trust i read online again mm-hmm. according to dr google or whatever you want to call it um so you th- there's different types of trust right so in your opinion which one would be the best for real estate so you know that that's actually a good segue when you say there's different kinds of trust um this is where i step in to kind of help my clients um there isn't a different. There aren't different types of trust, and that's where people get confused. They're like, "Oh, there's a land trust. There's a revocable, irrevocable." No, there's only one. There's only one trust. What makes it different is what goal you have it to do. Okay, so think about a trust, and this is the way I explain it to my clients: um, is consider it your own suitcase. That's all it is. Or you can think about it as an imaginary box. So when you create a trust, you know you're creating Margarita's imaginary box. Then I say, okay, Margarita, what do you want to put in your box? Oh, I want to put this water bottle. Okay, anything else? No. Okay, who do you want this water bottle to go to? I want it to go to my niece. Okay, okay, so, and that's it. Now, you can create one box just for this. Um, We can create another box. Oh, I have real estate. I want it to go in there, et cetera. Most people create one trust to hold all their assets, which is very common. Um, But there are different types of trusts. It's the purpose of the trust. So there's, uh, there's charitable trust. It's this trust, I create this trust, I put $10,000 and it's supposed to go to the Armenia Fund and starting in year 2030. So um, I think um, 
that's the way to think about it is it's just your own suitcase. And you definitely recommend anyone who buys a home to immediately create this trust. Absolutely. I highly recommend uh, properties to be held in trust um, for several reasons. And um, every time I do um, a speaking engagement, a podcast or training, I give I give these three scenarios that I'm going to give to the audience. And I want you to kind of put yourself in this position and realize, gee, what would it happen if this, you know, if this were to occur? These are three separate clients that came to me. I had a, I had a wife, um, and, and for those that have seen me talk about this before, sorry, it's the same three examples. I've never heard of it. Because so they're fantastic. Ignore well, everyone else. <laughs> all right. Then I'll talk to just Margarita yeah. about it. So I, I had this woman call me, and she says, my husband passed away. He was like in his late 40s, very young guy. The, the house they bought, um, it was only under his name. Okay. So let's just say Jack. It was only and under Jack's name. And they're legally married. Yeah, they're, they're married. And okay. they've been married for a very long time. And, but the house was only under his name. Um, he unfortunately passed away suddenly. And she mourned. And as she says, obviously, I can't live in the house. Too many mem- memories, etc. So she came to sell the house. So she contacted probably one of the wonderful agents listening to this and says, help me sell this house. Well, the title company looked at the title and they said, let's just call her, you know, Tina. Mm-hmm. I said, Tina, um, the house title only says Jack. Who is he? Well, it's my husband um, and he's passed away. Well, how can you sell this house that doesn't have your name on it? Just think about it. How can you sell a car without your name on it? So, okay, here's where I'm confused. I just assumed that if someone passes away, the everything they own just goes to the next living family member. Uh, true. Okay. So this is how it works. So um, that house that has his name on it, she can't sell it until her until her name goes on title. Okay. So Got it. they did not have a trust. So what happens in those situations? Yes, it is going to go to her, but it first has to go through what's called probate. Okay. Probate court is there to take your assets, you know, for me to take this, let's say this water bottle and to say, Margarita, prove to me this water bottle is yours, you know? So same thing with the woman, um, the house had to go through the probate process. And that comes with its own fees. Oh my goodness. It's like, I think she'll probably spend $20,000 and a year. And most people will say, well, I thought it's community property. It is community property. You need to prove to the judge, I'm married. Here's my marriage license. Here's photos of us. And the judge will say, okay, I believe you now. And then we'll then enter an order allowing your name to go on the title. And then you can sell And that's it. its own process. You're talking about one year and about 20 grand later. What a waste of time. Yeah. But had they had that house in a trust... Again, what a trust is, it's their box. Husband and wife, this is our box. We put the house in this trust. It's not in my name. It's not in her name. It's in the name of the trust. But we are both equal managers of our box. So let's say, you know, wife passes away. Um, I'm in control of this box. So I could take the house out and sell it. Yeah, your name's on it too. Right. Um, Now, had they had a trust she would be the successor trustee, surviving spouse, mm-hmm. and sell the house. Yeah. The other example um, I'll give is, is also very quick. Um, there was a guy who called me. His dad had passed away recently. His mom had passed away many years ago. His dad had passed away, and they had about, you know, I'm just going to make up a number, like thirty or $40,000 at Chase Bank. Yeah. So he goes into the branch and says, you know, hey, my dad passed away. Here's his death certificate. You know, I'm here to take the money out, you know. So and the bank manager looked at it and says, how am I supposed to give you this money in this account that has your dad's name on it to you? How do I know you're his son? 
How do I know you're his son? Now, they believed he's the son, but how can you legally take this money out of a bank account to give it to him? Mm-hmm. Again, had the dad had a trust, they would name the son as a beneficiary and the successor trustee. He would come in and say, here's a certificate of trust. That's my name. Here's my ID. And that bank account is in that trust. I want to withdraw that money. Here yeah. you go, sir. Done. So this is what they call a living trust. Right. So um, what's the opposite of a living trust? Um, I don't know. I, I guess a non-living trust. But uh, So but, how does that work if you're not living anymore? Right. So uh, they call it a living trust for many different reasons. Um, the reason why it's a living trust is because this box you created, this trust you created is, quote unquote, alive while you're alive. Okay. So And it's what they call revocable, meaning you could take things in and out. So at yeah. any time... I could take the house in, take the house out. If I buy more properties, I could change the beneficiaries. So it's kind of living with you. Got it. And once you pass away, the box then closes and you can't take anything else out. That's when it becomes irrevocable. Okay, understood. Okay, so, so that's when, yeah. when you pass away, no one else can add or take out anything from there. Right. Okay, so it's not you living. It's, it's your box technically. Right. Okay, got it. And then, and then the trust has to be what's called administrated. Okay. Then you appoint the successor trustee, which if it's a husband and wife, the surviving spouse would, be, would take over. But assume both spouses pass away, they name a successor trustee, someone else to step in. So it could be their oldest son. It could be an independent party. They step in and all they do is they say, okay, you know, seven and seven are created this trust. They're no longer here. I've stepped in. They look at the trust instructions, you know, that says, you know, give it to our kids equally. Mm-hmm. Take the stuff out, give it to the kids equally. So that's how they do it. They, yeah. they, they would contact the real estate agent. Um, what gets filed with the um, with the county is the certificate of death. So because now it's my name and my wife's name on title. Again, you got to have your name on title. Yeah. So they file the certificate of death with the county that says these two people have passed away. The successor trustee, let's say it's my brother Edward, um, his name gets placed as a successor trustee on title. And then he's able to sell the house for the benefit of the children. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So. Yeah, a lot of people don't think of these. You buy a house, you're very happy. You just assume you're you're on your way to building generational wealth. This is for right. your children or your grandchildren, whatever it is. You don't think of um, what they will have to deal with, the hoops they have to jump through once right. you're no longer there with them, just right. to to get that house. And a lot of the times, like you said, 20K and one year, first of all, that's a long time. Second right. of all, that money, not everyone has 20K lying around that they can use. So right. it might even be longer than a year. Yeah. So if you get that done ahead of time, not only will it be cheaper, less of a headache, and also you can live just knowing that your family is secure. That's correct, yeah. And you know, there's... There's a lot of things that people don't think about. I mean, when, when you said, I thought it's going to go to my family, it does. But what if you have, uh, what if you're separated from your spouse and it's supposed to go to, you know, the children of your marriage or something? What if your spouse marries someone else? You know, do you want your former spouse to get half your assets? No. You know, screw Why not? Him. Maybe you, know? you had a really great relationship. Could be. But the point is that maybe you want to just go to your kid, yeah. but since you didn't have a trust or a, this directions yeah. of what it's supposed to be, um, this is how it's going to be separated. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes my clients, uh, they don't intentionally um, want to favor one kid over another, but sometimes they want to help one child more than the other because the other probably received more during their lifetime. Mm-hmm. So like, let's say 
you know, someone's kid takes out a hundred thousand dollars with the parents during their lifetime, the parents will be uh, might say, "Look, um, we already gave you hundred thousand dollars during our lifetime, and you bought your house, so it's not fair for you to get." Hundred thousand equal distribution later. Yeah. So we can draft the trust documents that instructs you know give credit more towards these two because this son got credit or yeah, something during sense. the lifetime. So yeah. So there's a lot yeah. that you can do. It's just up to Absolutely. what you would like. Absolutely. And also just hiring a professional just so they can make sure that you're aware of all of your options. Right. That's the most important thing. There's only so much you can Google. Like this wasn't a big life decision I was making. It was just questions to ask you, but clearly so much came up that I didn't even think of searching online. Right. No, there's, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of components to it. And my job is to make it very simple for, for people. Um, and again, just always imagine every time you hear the word trust, just think about a magic box. Okay. Um, I have a, I have a client who has separate businesses and they have, um, exotic cars okay. and they have their home. Um, sure. You would want to name, you know, the surviving spouse as the trustee, but, um, he didn't want, you know, the spouse to be in control of the businesses because you know, maybe she won't know how to sell it. Okay. So we created separate trusts. We created one trust for their personal home. We created another trust just for the businesses, another trust that holds just the exotic vehicles. Love it. So now... People and their cars, right? Those those assets will flow to the family, but it's who's controlling these boxes. Yeah. So that also ensures that your assets will be taken care of. Um, and there's a lot of tax advantage benefits too, okay, which... So is a will basically just a trust? Uh, That's a great question. Um, People say, what's the difference between a trust and a will? Yeah. Okay. Do I need a trust if I have a will? Um, The general answer is uh, yes, you do need both. What the will does is it captures everything that is not in the trust. Imagine you create a trust today and tomorrow you get gold bars. Okay. Okay. which if you do get gold bars, please call me. But um, if in the, it's in the house, it doesn't go with the house? Uh, no. L- no. L- let's just say you get some personal property uh, gold bars. Now, okay. your trust at this time, it doesn't reference as an asset that this trust holds gold bars. Okay. So what the will will do is it captures things in the future. That says, look, anything not in the trust, in my will, I direct my executor to gift it to my trust. Okay, got it. So just like if I had a cup, like I'm pouring it into my cup, the will pours it into the trust. So we call it a pour over will. It pours assets not captured in the trust. um, So every time you get something of value, you don't have to run back and quickly add it into your trust. Right, You can basically die knowing that everything is going to the right people. Right, now things that have title, a house has title, Cars have title, bank accounts have title, mm-hmm. things that have title and name to it, you should go and make sure they're converted into the name of the trust. Okay. And we do that for you. We, we actually do the trust transfer deed that transfers the house into the trust. So um, bank accounts, same way. So it'll say margarita on your bank account. But when you create a trust, we tell you how to go switch that bank account into the name of the trust. Now it's going to say margarita trustee of the Margarita Family Trust. Got it. Now that bank account is inside this box. So um, the other main difference between a will and a trust is a will does still need to be probated. If you only have a will, if I write my name is Sevan and I gift the gold bars you know, to Margarita, mm-hmm. um, the will does still need to go to probate court. 
A trust so is you not. you probably need an attorney. You but with need, a trust, family right. can manage it. Right. There's professional that can manage it. So the idea is about privacy. Once the will gets submitted to the probate court, um, now it's public knowledge. Now I'm going to look up Margarita. I'm going to look at your will and see what did you have? Who would you give it to? Why did you give it to your sister? Um, it creates family drama. A will does not go to probate. It's private. So big difference, public yeah. and private. So that's why people do trusts. That makes sense. Thank you so much. I feel like I've learned so much in this one session and I spent like two days Googling information (laughs) and begging people for help. Don't Google, call me. Yeah. Apparently Google is not the best form of legal advice. Who would have known, right? Yeah. And it's not, it it does. I I still Google some things myself. No, Um, I'm totally kidding because if you Google, you still have to know what to look for. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I definitely believe that lawyers are not comparable to Google. Right. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're learning and the audience too. Again, if you have any questions, you know, I'm always uh, accessible online. Yes. You can just call me. I'm happy yes, to Yes, and we'll questions. definitely add all of your social media uh, on the in the information below the video <laughs> so everyone can access you. And then obviously uh, our website is, will be up by the time this podcast is released. So you can create a uh, – an, an, I can't even speak today. You can create a profile on the Pocket Network, and then the professionals will be able to access you directly. And then hopefully, right. hopefully we can convince you to become a Pocket Advisor and give out this information for anyone willing to spend some time and um, obviously pay for your expertise. I, I, I don't need to be paid. I'm happy to do it. Love it. Wow. No, do we, don't. Do you sure you don't want us to edit this part out? <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, awesome. Uh, Thank no, you so much. I'm, it's I'm, been a pleasure. My pleasure. And we definitely need to have you back once I know a little more. Like my teacher, my, my sister's slowly teaching me more about law and what I need to know. Once I have more questions, sure. we will call you back and we'll ask you or if uh, anyone watching, just feel free to comment questions. Let us know what you want answered so that we can ask Sevan next time. Sure. And hopefully we have you on the show soon. I'll be happy to come back. Thank you so much for having me. Thank, thank you. you, everybody. Thank you. And everyone at home, as always, remember, it's up to you to make the changes necessary in your life. It's up to you to apply this knowledge and help your, uh, your customers. So as we always say, change begins at home.